So there's something quite arrogant about the idea of one scientific authority or one health authority being able to lay down the, def the definitive solution, the definitive answer to highly complex scientific and political problems. We need more than one answer to be put on the table and to be tried out so that we can learn going forward what is the most effective approach. Welcome to Thunder Off Script, a podcast for lovers of freedom. In today's episode, I'd like to discuss the pandemic treaty being pushed by the WHO as a mechanism for responding to future pandemics. This treaty essentially puts an enormous amount of power in the hands of a single organization, namely the WHO, in the coordination of international responses to pandemic threats. What I'd like to consider in this podcast is how this manifests a perennial temptation to assume that the best way to respond to highly complex social problems is to invest an enormous amount of power and authority in the hands of a few. The WHO has announced its intention to promote a so-called pandemic treaty which would essentially strengthen the powers of the World Health Organization to both declare a pandemic and to bind governments to global health regulations. At first sight, it might seem like a sensible idea to have an international public health authority that could guide and coordinate actions in the face of a pandemic threat. But things are not quite as simple as that. In the face of any international threat, it's very attempting to empower a central authority to guide our responses to that threat and to provide authoritative norms that can coordinate our actions. The first problem with highly centralized authority is the dispersal of knowledge. As the economist Friedrich Hayek pointed out, human knowledge is highly dispersed, especially knowledge about complex problems. Because a complex problem like, say, the containment of infectious disease affects different communities and different sectors of society very differently. And each institution and each community will have to adapt in its own way to a pandemic threat, taking into account local knowledge and local circumstances of the sort that cannot really be properly and adequately interpreted and processed by a central international authority. The second issue that tells against highly centralized international authorities attempting to resolve highly complex issues is that we don't really know in advance 
which response or which solution will actually work. Often the only way we can learn what actually works to, say, reduce the spread of infectious disease or in general to cure a disease is by running parallel experiments, that is to say, allowing different individuals and institutions and countries to try out different approaches. If the whole world adopts a single approach, then essentially we have no way to know what the best approach was. We need to see different answers to these problems, different solutions being tried out simultaneously in different regions and institutions precisely in order to understand which one works best. Let's take the very controversial example of masking. If you had a single pandemic authority, then they could decide on a rather contestable, scientifically contested issue, they could decide on one side of the question, and they could basically dictate to everybody how to, um, say, implement that particular measure or on the importance of that particular measure. So supposing the World Health Organization under a pandemic treaty had, if not the legal authority, the political authority to ordain universal community masking. If they did that, then they would essentially be imposing one measure across the board and we would not know whether in fact it was effective because we wouldn't have different, let's say, rival responses being played out. So there's something quite arrogant about the idea of one scientific authority or one health authority being able to lay down the, def the definitive solution, the definitive answer to highly complex scientific and political problems. We need more than one answer to be put on the table and to be tried out so that we can learn going forward what is the most effective approach. The third very serious issue with the concentration of power in the hands of a few is, of course, corruption. Sometimes this corruption can be very overt, it can be very extreme, and that would be the acceptance of bribes or let's say, overtly illegal or criminal activity on the part of power holders. But there are other more subtle forms of corruption to do with bias and prejudice and self-interest, um, where somebody in a position of power basically helps out their friends and lines their pockets through legitimate and legal activities. And in doing so, maybe loses sight of the bigger picture, loses sight of the public interest and the common good. So here, a very clear example is the influence of big business, the influence of big money on the health sector. Think about the fact that the second largest donor of the World Health Organization currently is Bill Gates, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So this is basically the preeminent international public health authority of the world that is highly dependent 
on the on on an income that comes from one wealthy donor what kind of influence does that imply what kind of influence would such a donor have over the world world health organization well it's inevitable that he would have substantial influence over their policies and responses if he is their second largest donor who wants to annoy or tick off um, such a massive donor. It's, it would simply be self-destructive or suicidal for an organization to s- go strongly against the wishes of its second largest donor. So this is really a, a form of corruption, and I'm not saying it's prosecutable, I'm not saying it's necessarily a criminal form of corruption, but it is a corruption of the integrity of the institution of the institutions insofar as such an institution, a public health institution, becomes excessively dependent on the income of one private individual or one private foundation. To sum up, the general temptation, shall we say, of concentrating power and authority in the hands of a few in order to solve highly complex problems is really very short-sighted because it fails to take into consideration three facts about the human condition and about human knowledge and politics that really tell against hypercentralization. First, we said, was the fact that knowledge is highly dispersed and cannot really be mastered by a very small group of people. Second is the importance of trial and error and experimentation so that we can actually learn which methods, which interventions work best and correct our behavior and our policies going forward. Third, there is the danger of corruption. When you concentrate power massively in the hands of a few, these people have huge incentives to consolidate their power and defend their power, even when this goes against the public interest. There are methods that well-resourced and wealthy individuals can use to gain disproportionate influence over these centralized authorities. If you enjoyed this video, you may consider signing up to the Freedom Blog where I discuss a broad range of issues affecting human freedom and flourishing.